following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Maybe you folks do this here. God is good. And all the time. (laughs) Yes, he is. Yes, he is. We're going to begin with a, a simple overview of what God has done for us, what he's done in us, and who and what we are as a result. Our subject passage this morning, and we're going to get to it, but not until a bit later, uh, is 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 6. But I don't want you to go there now. Oh, thanks. Thank you, honey. (laughs) We will get there, trust me. But as the uh, Holy Spirit worked things out, the bulk of the message is more like the introduction to the whole encapsulation that we're going to get to at the end of the message. Another note. Uh, Folks, probably some know, I don't ask rhetorical questions. So if I throw a question out there, it's just not a pause and reflect moment. So if you have a, if you have an answer, let it roll. If it's right on with the word, praise the Lord. If it's not, we'll talk to you after the service. (laughs) Trust me, we, well, that's how this house rolls. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, maybe one that you've got on your refrigerator somewhere. Can this go up just to here? Thank you. Yeah, now I can reach my coffee. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It's for by grace that you have been saved through faith. Amen? Amen? Amen to that. It is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. I can't do any more good works than you can if there's one seat left in heaven. I can't take all this abundance of resources that I have and compare them to whatever resources you have and think that I should get that last seat. We all come equally before the throne of grace. We come to the cross of Christ with nothing. And God's going to give us everything. Amen? Amen to that. Well, it goes on. We are His workmanship. Whose? Christ Jesus, who made everything. Check out Gospel of John chapter 1. He's the maker or co-maker. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. That's key. Not good works that we prepared in advance, that God rubber stamped. Works that God has already prepared in advance for us, knowing in His foreknowledge that we would become His sons and daughters, set apart to good works. He's prepared us. Even when we didn't think He was preparing us, He worked in concert with our free will to make us who we are, who we're becoming, and who we're going to be, and is working in and establishing us so that when the good work comes, hopefully we'll catch it and we'll be ready for that good work. That's exciting to think about. It's just not, okay, I'm saved and I'm in the household of faith and, you know, let's go to the baseball game or what. No, God has got beautiful, beautiful work in store for us. Second Corinthians 1. And that brings us a little bit closer to our subject first. So we're in Second Corinthians chapter 1. 
20 and 22. All the promises of God, we talked about that earlier, right? All the promises of God find their yes in Him, that is Christ. That is why through Him we utter our amen to the glory of God. It's God who establishes us with you. This is Paul writing. He's come to them and saying, here we are, we're the messengers, we're in Christ, you're in Christ. Christ has established us as one family. When we hear what Paul has to say to the Corinthians here and, and other writers, yes, they're speaking about themselves in the context of time in the Word, but we need to think about that in terms of who we are in Him. We're the family of God called collectively to do these good works, each playing out our own part. There are thousands of actual promises. You can kind of tweak some and make them promises if you want. But there are a thousand actual promises in the Bible. And this word, yes, that you find in there in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 and 22 is an extremely strong affirmation that it is by way of Christ Jesus that these promises are in place, which gives us full confidence when we say amen to God. What do we mean when we say amen to God? Anybody? So be it. Amen. So be it. What does it mean when Jesus said, verily, verily, truly, truly? He's saying, amen, amen. What's he saying? You better listen. Yeah, amen to that, sister. It is and shall be so. And just in case you aren't paying attention, he repeats it. It is and shall be so. That's why they say this man speaks with authority. Not so much the content, sometimes, that they were hanging that on. Listen to how he starts. It is and shall be so. Whoa, where's this guy coming from? He must be God. He is. So, in here, we find out that God has done something wonderful. It is God who, what, establishes us individually and corporately, making us able to stand in our relationship with Jesus. Do you think you'd be able to stand in your relationship with Jesus Christ all on your own? Try that sometime. Try putting Holy Spirit in the back seat. See what happens. You don't drive so well. I don't. He anoints us. That is, He consecrates us, solemnly sets us apart to His service. That's special, beloved. That's who we are in Him. He seals us with His Holy Spirit, does two things. One, it declares us to be God's possession. You think you're still your own? Anybody here still think they're their own? Well, maybe you haven't passed from one side of the cross to the other yet. We could talk about that. God has purchased us. Holy Spirit serves as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him... You are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we could acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Isn't that nice to know? I didn't hear this a lot until our dear folks from Spokane who were in Bethlehem when we were ministering up in Littleton. We got to know them and now they're like best buds with us. 
And they went back. And now, praise the Lord, they've come back to New Hampshire and uh, have reestablished themselves yet uh, again here. And uh, we're having a lot of fun with them. But we don't hear earnest money a lot when we talk about buying houses around here. We say we put a deposit down. And I hear from them, well, we have to go put earnest down. That's an old word. But that's what the scripture is using right here. And I think in your trans- in the ESV it says that, or maybe it says guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our earnest money, guaranteeing our possession, our inheritance until we take possession of it. Do we have full possession of our inheritance now, saints? No. It's coming. We're co-heirs with Christ. Is that exciting? Jesus is not just our older brother set apart from us. What does the scripture say about our relationship with him in terms of our inheritance? What are we? Come on, church. Huh? Heirs. Co-heirs. What's our station? We have adoption as, as sons. Each one of us is it is as if each one of us is God's firstborn son. That's how equal we are in taking possession of the inheritance that stands before us. Wow. I'm just not going to get a little slice of the pie somewhere, you know. We share the whole thing. So he's that deposit. So not only has God purchased us, he's put down the earnest money through Holy Spirit a seal, a mark on us so that when God looks at all humankind that ever existed on that day, He'll be able to look at each soul and see the mark of the Holy Spirit there and say, mine, mine, mine. Jeez, I wish you did. Hold on to that point. Hold on to that as we move forward. We have a deposit. Thank you, Lord God. John 14, 1 to 3. Listen to Jesus here. You've heard it, I'm sure. Let not your hearts be troubled. Who worries? Anybody worry? Oh, look at the hands. That's a sin. Don't do that. (laughs) The Lord told me that I could be overly concerned, but I can't worry. Don't worry. What, what do we have to worry about? God is in control. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Parenthesis. I promise. I promise. I'm going to come back and you and I'm going to transform you and I'm going to give you a glorified body and we are going to hang out for eternity. What's not to get excited about? Jesus made a deposit on our new house. A deposit we can't make. Does Holy Spirit have residence within you? How do you know? Wow, there was a lot of deer in the headlights right then. <laughs> All right, you know, the scripture says so. Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Good one. Holy Spirit resides in me for the 
Bible tells me so, but how do you experientially know that? How do you spiritually know that Holy Spirit lives in you? You just do. Yeah, okay. That's one. I think this is one of the key things right at the beginning of our moment of salvation, if we are still enough in that moment. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're just flying around like a bug that's been set free. But it says in the Scripture that Holy Spirit comes into us and He testifies to our inner man, to our spirit, that we are sons of God. And we are then able to say with full conviction, unequivocally, that God is our Father. You could mouth the words before your salvation, couldn't you? Oh, God's my Father. Oh, did you really mean it? Is it really true? In your knower, that one good sister over in Maine, that's how she refers to her, her, her inner man, where his Holy Spirit is and all that. In my knower, I know that I know that I know that God is my Father, and nobody can tell me any different. Nobody. Because the Holy Spirit bears witness to that. He testifies to that. And you just know that you know. And you hang on to that. Because you know that's not going to change. It's not going to get different tomorrow. You're always going to be a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Romans 8.15 and continuing, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall you fear? Nothing. No one. You received the spirit of adoption as sons. And that's what I was just referring to with the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. There's something that's floated around. I don't know if it's just this country. Somebody, I've never been really anywhere. Will you hear, well, we're all children of God. True or false? Huh? Out there, you hear it around, floating around. Well, we're, especially when you get talking with somebody who's non-believer, right? Oh, we're all children of God. No. No. No, no, no. It's like walking by an orphanage and saying, gee, I wish all those kids were mine. So they are. A little process has to happen, right? Hmm? Yeah, you have to go through that process that Holy Spirit leads you in, and then you are given, as John 1 says, around around 12 or 13, you're given the right to call yourself a child of God. What a wonderful right that we have, a glorious right that we have to claim ourselves as God's children, holy, beloved, set apart by Him. Ephesians 2, remember that at one time you Gentiles, that's anybody who is not a Jew, you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what was called the circumcision. In other words, the Jews that thought they had it all together and they were sort of living out the Old Testament law. But they were a people set apart by God to show the rest of the world what human community should look like when it is in submission to a holy and righteous God. They're just human beings. Did they do very well at that? I'm not going to judge that. They did what they did under the old covenant. And they moved things forward according to God's will and according to God's plan that now what? 
we who were Gentiles in the flesh, the uncircumcision who are called that by the circumcision, by the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of the promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we were. That's who we were. That's who they are out there, brothers and sisters. Those who are driving by, we don't know. They might be. But you know who you shop with. You know who you recreate with. You know who you hang with. And you get opportunity to understand whether they're sons and daughters of the Most High God or not. And if they're not, they are separated from God in this world. What does that do to your heart? I know it does to God's heart. John 3.16. You can start with me, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe it in him should not perish but have eternal life. 17. All right, 18. 18. Oh, we're going to wait. Get it. Come on. John 3.16 is everywhere. We love to put that up. It's only half the gospel, brothers and sisters. It's only half the gospel. Jews didn't come into the world 17 to condemn the world, but that the world might save through him. 18. Huh? From God's point of view, there's only two people groups on the face of the earth. The saints and the ain'ts. Think about that. I say it that way, so remember that real good. The saints, us, the sanctified ones who have been set apart by the Savior, and the ain'ts who don't have the S. That's all the ain'ts need is the Savior to become saints, to become set apart, to become sanctified. Uh, yeah, sanctified. Whose job is that? Together with Holy Spirit's work, right? Our job. Individually, collectively, is the church our job. Through the works God has planned in advance for us to do, that they all culminate, culminate, they all come together, they all work together to reach the ain'ts. Any ain'ts here this morning, by the way? I just like, sometimes I just have to ask. Because I would, I'd stop right here so that we can minister to that person. Because they're not yet our brother or our sister, are they? But Holy Spirit brings them, courts them through what we do, brings them in. Hallelujah. That's who we were. 
Ephesians 2, 13, 19, and 20. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How awesome. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure rises, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Anybody, any, once in a while, somebody asks you where, where the church is? How do you respond? Across from Napa. Yeehaw. Huh? How do you respond? Somebody says, where's the church? You've been talking about your church. Da, da, da. Where's the church? Listen. That's what I'm saying now. Come on. Where's the church? Amen. So next time somebody says to you, where's the church? You best be pointing to yourself. Right here. That opens all kinds of discussions. Trust me. Huh? Where's the church? Right here. What, you get church in your pocket? Well, no, no, no. No, then you can tell them what the church is. This is the building where the church meets. Yes, set apart to God. This building, these grounds, everything here. I'm not going to get like Billy Sunday, trust me. I'm not going to jump up and tap dance on the communion table. That was a sight. It got their attention, though. And that was Holy Spirit led, and I'm not being led to get up there and dance for you. But this is God's house. Amen? This is God's house. Take a a new and fresh arm around, head around, heart around that. That when we come and gather here, we're gathering in the house. And Jesus is in the house. And Holy Spirit is in the house. And God is in the house. Huh? Yeah. Special things go on here, folks, that don't go on out there on the sidewalk. But there can be special things that go on out there on the sidewalk that might not happen in here. This is who we are in Christ now and forever. Amen? Joel, this is interesting. Never done this before. You folks know this one? We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. By the power of the blood we will stand. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And He will bring the victory. Got it now. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. By the power of the blood we will stand. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. 
and we will bring the victory. I think you've got it now. So, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. By the power of the blood, we will stand. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And He will bring the victory. Yes, He will. And He will bring the victory. Once more. And He will bring the victory. Give God a clap offering. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. I didn't know where that was going to go, to be honest with you. But it went just where the Holy Spirit wanted it to. So what are some of the other attributes of this victory? What's running through your mind? We've discussed a whole bunch of them. What are some of the ones we didn't touch on? Hmm. Some of the ones that I think that will maybe a little harder is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 or 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. Yeah, this, is, this is good where we came to. We have that wonderful crescendo. Yeah, hallelujah. All right, let's remember. I belong to God. So glorify God in your body, my addition, and everything else that you have. All that we have, all that we are, needs to be held with an open hand before Almighty God every moment of every day, saying, here, Lord, here it is. Here I am. Everything I am, everything I'm not, that old song, I'm here, Lord. What do you require of me today? What is my cross to bear today. I want to do your work. I want to do your will. It all needs to be held with an open hand. What, he can't replace that? Can't replace it tenfold? Can't replace it a hundredfold? Maybe he doesn't replace it all, but how about the joy of being involved in his service? That just keeps building and building and building. Titus 2.14 For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness, watch this, and to purify for Himself a people for his own possession who are zealous to good works. Hmm. Yeah. It's starting to go like this a little bit. This one, this one I love is, oh, you're over here. Oh, Carl Rundgren used to pastor our sister church down in Northwood, New Hampshire. He also worked at Butch's store in Summersworth, and I worked for him for a time. And this is where I first got this. And it's being held together. You know those little straps that you have in there to mark pages? They now hold, they're tied together, and they hold sections in here. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I decided to put Galatians 2.20 on the front of this because that's, that's my spiritual life for us. I am crucified 
with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Wow. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are we really in the process of dying to our self-will? It's a process. We're all along the pilgrimage somewhere, helping one another along, or should be, dying to self. I don't want my will. That's the only way Jesus could be the true Messiah, because everything that he thought, everything that he said, and everything that he did was according to the will of the Father. He never missed it, not once. If he did, could he have been the Messiah? No. He would have been discredited. That's why Jesus is our example, not Pastor Heath, not John, not this smiling-faced, bald-headed guy over here. (laughs) See, it's my turn to pick on you. Never make another human being, no matter how good they seem to be looking, your example. Jesus is your example. When we came to faith in Christ and became a child of God, God held Jesus up, His one and only begotten Son, and said, this is who I want you to be like. Matter of fact, if you read it right in the the original, it's, I command you to be like my Son. That's a high calling, brothers and sisters, to be like Jesus. But the question is, are you more like Jesus today than you were six months ago? Six years ago. Stuck? That's okay. Get unstuck. Start moving ahead in the Lord. If we're moving ahead in the Lord, then Second Corinthians 2. See, we're edging up on Second Corinthians 3. I told you we would. Second Corinthians 2, 14 to 17. Watch this. Thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus... Always, always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, listen, through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God first among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one the fragrance from, from death to death the other, a fragrance from life to life. You ever catch somebody going by? I don't care if it's a guy or a gal. And they just, I don't, I don't want to dumb this down here, but it's, it's like it's five bucks a gallon and they put it on with an orchard sprayer. <laughs> it's all right, you can laugh at that. Because that's funny. But you know somebody passed by, don't you? They didn't say anything. You didn't see them. But you know they passed by. Sure, almost wish they didn't. But the unsaved are going to smell the aroma of Christ in us and they're going to wish we didn't pass by. But those who are being saved are going to go, whoa, fragrance of Christ going on over here. And Holy Spirit brings them over and you get an opportunity real quick. 
we were going to go out to an eatery, Donna and her mom and myself. I mean, there are two similar ones, one in Danvers and one over the bridge in Salem from Beverly. All set to go to Danvers. Got to the end of Mom's Road. Nah, I took a left. Boom. Went over to Salem. Our server, Wayne, uh, came to the table and, you know, the usual things. What can I start you off with? Da, 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 da. Took our water, and as is our custom, I said, Wayne, we're going to pray for our meal. Is there anything we can pray for for you? Try that. Wayne said, yeah, I need patience. I need patience. And he left. He must have looked back and did a two-eyed peek because we prayed. And we prayed for him for patience. He came back. He says, it's already working. But let me tell you, I've been here five years and I've watched people bowed and prayed, and nobody has asked me what I need prayer for. Fragrance of Christ. And a simple thing like asking your server what you can pray for for him. doesn't take a lot. doesn't take a lot. Perhaps you've heard the old saying, we who follow Christ can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Hmm? Well, we can get focused on the eternal kingdom and all the glory and all the wonder and we're missing all the good works that God planned in advance. They're all falling around our feet like fall leaves. Conversely, we who follow Christ can be so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. We can get so focused on the things of this world we forget who we are in Christ and what we're supposed to be up to. Let me suggest this. If we who follow Christ are rightly heavenly minded, we will be motivated to be rightly heavenly good. You know what I'm saying? I think there, I don't like the word balance, but there it is. There's balance in that. Heaven is real. So is Gehenna, the lake of fire. Any doubt about that? We all believe in heaven. Amen. The eternal home of the righteous. If we do, then we have to believe in Gehenna. Where souls of men will be destroyed, the scripture says. It's God's desire that no one goes there. Notice it says desire. If it was God's will that no one would go there, would Christ's death on the cross would cover all humankind and would be done, be done deal. But that's, we know that's not true. Should we not be a people after God's own heart? If God's desire that none should perish, shouldn't it be our desire? Every day? I know, that would be perfect. All right. Most every day, I'll give you some slack. That none should perish. And I have an opportunity to do something about that. God, what's my opportunity today to do something about the perishing? Let me just tell them what you've done for me. Everybody can do that. We're all called to be his witnesses, right? Samaria, Judea, the utmost parts of the world, here and in the county and wherever else God would send us. We're not all called to be evangelists. I'm not putting that on you. If God's called you to be evangelists, that's fine. Go get trained up in that and go do that. It, it's a hoot, trust me. But he's called you to be you. 
He's gifted you to be you and how you're going to participate in all of this. I'm going to just ask this. We have a, a military serviceman here who could give us a quick picture, a quick picture of what it means to be or to have, you know, what am I saying? A quick insight into the heart of a true American serviceman. Couple, three sentences from your own experience or whatever. What does it, what's the heart? What's the heart of a true American serviceman? Come on. Honor, devotion to country, devotion to God. Service to others. Mm hmm. No, what? No atheist in foxhole. <laughs> no atheist in foxhole. Especially one that's got incoming. Where am I going with that? A person that has a true heart for this country, a true passion for this country, what won't they give? What won't they give? Oh, we give it all. Yeah. That's what I was trying to raise up here. Paul used examples from nature. So that was kind of like an example from the natural world to get us to think about where our passion is. God wants us to be fruitful and fulfilled in kingdom work. And through, if we got a passion going on for the work of God, He's going to make us fruitful. He's going to make us fulfilled in whatever it is that He calls us to do. Be mindful of this. The way people respond to our witnesses between them and God, isn't it? I learned that real early on. I went out delivering some baskets the first within the first few months after I got saved. And I had a question about why did, you know, gee, should we have dropped a basket of fruit off to these folks? I mean, you know, I know them. And it's like, you know, I'm young. Got a lot of zeal, no wisdom. <laughs> and the, the one who was leading that expedition said, that's not our job. Our job is to be the blessing that God called us to be and leave it with them and God. Share your testimony. Share a witness, share a track, share something, and then leave it with them in God. You can pray about it, yes, I get that. But don't travail over that like you're going to make something happen. It's like taking tomato seeds and planting them out in your garden. You tilled the soil and you planted the seeds to the right depth and you put water on them and a plant comes up and you're standing there over that thing saying, I want five tomatoes out of you. Okay. What if God says there's only going to be three? What if God says there's going to be ten? God brings the increase. Don't get past your responsibility in the work of the Lord. We're there. Second Corinthians 3, 1 to 6. Ready? Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? 
Remember we talked about that in 2 Corinthians 1 where he said in Christ we are all knit together. He's talking to a family in Corinth, church family where people came to faith in Christ. He brought them together and he established them as a church. They're all one. I'm not coming in from La La Land somewhere where you need somebody to authorize me to speak for you. It have been like me showing up here today and saying, okay, yeah, well, we'll let you speak after you produce a letter from the Maranatha Conference saying that it's okay for you to do that. You didn't do that. Praise God. No. <laughs> this is what Paul's saying. We know one another so well. We're so knit together in the work of the church. We're... This is so wonderful. I, I don't have to commend myself to you. You know who I am. I know who you are. You yourselves, here it is. Here's the take home. If you get along with anything else, Holy Spirit may put on your heart, but here it is. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Living letters. The folks were. They had come to faith in Christ. They were on their journey of maturing in their faith to where Paul says, you guys are walking around like billboards for Jesus. People see the difference in you. They're taking stock of that. You show that you're a letter from Christ delivered from us. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Amen? The work being done in our lives by the Holy Spirit is a miracle. Do you believe that? Hmm? It's a miracle. Why do I say that? What's, a, what's a, a biblical miracle? I can tell you from what I got, but anybody? What's a biblical miracle? Water to wine. Good? A little, little broader in terms of definition. The work of God. Solely, right, solely the work of God. God has put things, laws in effect in nature. God has given us a certain amount of understanding, but none of the laws of nature and none of the mind of man enter into miracles. That Aunt Millie's cat survived three nights of the thunderstorm and came home is not a miracle. It's really neat, and we thank God that she did and for his watch care, but that's not a miracle, folks. Not a biblical miracle. A miracle is when God steps outside of what he's set in order, what's normal, what's natural, and he does work and the work of regeneration in you is just that it's a miracle an absolute miracle Ignatius the late century the first century bishop of Antioch wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus and he said this ready Give unbelievers the chance of believing through you. Consider yourselves employed by God. Your lives, the form of language in which God addresses them. Be mild when they are angry. Humble when they are haughty. 
to their blasphemy oppose prayer without ceasing, to their inconsistency a steadfast adherence to your faith. Undoubtedly, brothers and sisters, the most powerful sermon is a life that's been changed by God. Amen? So please take some time to reflect on your passion for the work of the church and what part God is calling you to participate in. Our Heavenly Father wants us to be fruitful and fulfilled. He has and will prepare us for the works that He's ordained for us. For the joy set before Him, Jesus, what? For the joy set before Him, Jesus went to the cross. How about for the joy that's set before us that we pick up our cross and follow Him? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank You for reminding us who we were, who we are in You. And Lord, what a glorious life that You have for us. Holy Spirit, I commend us all, including myself, to your tender, loving watch care, to your leading, to your empowering, to your teaching, that we each individually and collectively may be all that the Father has called us to be. In Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.